You're listening to the official podcast of Church Untitled, located in downtown Vancouver. We are a community set apart to bear His name, in our city, for His glory. We hope that you're blessed and enriched by this message. I'm particularly excited about this series. Um, We don't do series all the time, but when we know that there's a collection that there is a theme that God wants to lean us into for an extended period of time, we'll call it a series, um, because it's important that we're connecting all of these thoughts together. And the reason why we're calling it DNA is obvious to what DNA means, the genetic makeup of who you are, but it's also the genetic makeup of your family. So if your family with somebody, my mom's sitting in the front row, my son is around here, Ethan, Levi, they're probably upstairs. My sister's walking in the back. I'm genetically connected to my family. I share similar DNA to them. And so as a community, we need to know who we are. We need to know what our DNA is. At times when we have issues in our arms or in our legs, different places in our body, it's because our back is actually out of alignment. But if we can get our back into alignment, so many of the problems in the periphery will be fixed. If we just know who we are as a family, we'll be able to function then as individually, as individuals in that family. Does it make sense to you? And so that's why we're digging into DNA. And what's interesting about DNA, actually, human DNA, is that 99.9% of your DNA is shared with the person sitting next to you, behind you, and in front of you, with every single person on the planet. 99.9% of who you are is not unique to who you are. We're more connected than you think. And if you want to do some math, that's 0.1% of who you are is individual and uniquely connected to who you are. 0.1% of your DNA is your unique expression. So when we talk about DNA, we need to know two words. The first word is this, genotype. Genotype is your genetic code or your genetic makeup. And you see all those T's and G's and A's if you see a genetic diagram. That's your genotype. I don't know what my genotype is. You probably don't know what your genotype is unless you're like a reproductive biologist. Tiago, are you in here? Where are you at? He's not here. Tiago's a PhD in genetic reproductive biology, so I'm sure he knows what his genotype is. But phenotype is a beautiful word. And in that word, it describes how our our DNA is expressed visually. And so we have a genotype and a phenotype. If you would cut me open and look at my blood, you could probably find through a microscope, a really powerful one, my genotype. But if you look me in the face and see the color of my hair, the color of my eyes, and my height and my weight, all of those things, you're seeing my phenotype, how my DNA is expressed. And it's beautiful how we're uniquely expressed, but through this service, I want to talk about how we are connected together. Because I believe that the foundation for our individuality is built upon what we have in common. Family before function. 
The fact that you are a child of God comes before any identity that you might have in this life. You may identify yourself male or female. You may say that I have this uh, identity in work or in my family, but before all of it, if you are a child of God, that's what comes first. And so when we're talking about our DNA as a community, we're talking about the DNA that we all share together, that 99.9%, the DNA of Church Untitled. And so that, as an introduction to our series, I want to talk today about the DNA of our house, in particular, our call to the city. That if you're connected, if you're part, if you're family here, we have a call to the city. We have a call to culture. We have a mandate to fill culture. By the way, the timer's not going back there, so you're letting time slip away. You can take that down to like 35. We'll be good. So today I want to talk about the city. That if you're connected, if you're part of, if you call this place home, you need to know today that we have been called to things outside of this building. That might seem obvious to some, but not so obvious to others. That church is something that I do on Sunday, and I have that little portion of my life, but every other part of my life is mine. And nothing that I do in church is actually genetically connected to what I do in the city. I'm here to tell you today through scripture that that's not the case. That we have a beautiful call and a beautiful mandate to fill this city, to fill this earth with culture that gets its root in heaven. And it's established through the people of God. And so if you are a child of God, you have a call to the city on behalf of God. We believe in this house that the heart of God is learned in intimacy. Your personal connection, your personal time with Him. And it's calibrated in community. That we like rub up against each other and the rough edges get like sanded away and we're shaped by the people around us in the heart of God. That the heart of God is learned in intimacy and it's calibrated in community so that it can resonate throughout the city. The heart of God is learned here. It's calibrated here so that the city might then collide with the heart of God through the church. We as the church, the body of Christ, have a cultural mandate. What that means is that we have been called to build culture. Genesis chapter 1, the first book in the entire Bible talking about creation, it says this, verse 28, God blessed them being Adam and Eve, and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, a, a different but similar account to creation. God says this, the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. So when God says in Genesis 1, 28, to be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, he's not just talking about procreation. He's not just talking about making more babies, although that is part of building culture. And everybody said, amen. Yeah, it's fans. I don't know who you are over there, but pretty excited. God bless you. 
fill the earth and subdue it. When God is talking to Adam and Eve to say, fill the earth, he's actually saying, fill the earth with culture. Fill the earth with creativity. Fill the earth with dreams and expression as the children of God. God wanted the deposit of humanity on the earth to shape the earth. And so when it says subdue it, it says take the resources that I've given you, the fruits, the land, the resources in the earth, the sun, the rain, all of it. Take all of it, make use of it, and build culture. So they were originally given a garden to tend and to work. But as they collided with different herbs and different spices and different fruits, I think there was something in them that sparked and said, wow, if we put these together, we can have a beautiful meal. And then something happened in there where they wanted to share the meal with other people. So they had to find ways to mass produce those meals. They had to find ways to get shelter and so on and so forth. There was an idea that sparked another idea that sparked another idea that became culture. So when we have children, there's more that moves through them that they can then build, that they can deposit in this earth through culture, fill the earth and subdue it. Why is this important for us? Why does this matter to us? Well, the first thing is this, that this is the way that God started everything. So if the mandate existed at the beginning of the creation, I will implore you today that the mandate still exists. If you've been in church for any number of weeks or months or years, you have this particular phrase. The idea is this, that we want to go back to the garden, back to the original design, and that has implications for your personal life. That's what Jesus calls redemption. He takes the brokenness and he restores it. But God isn't just taking us back to the garden. He's taking us towards a city, the scriptures say. The garden starts without culture, but the city is filled with culture. So God's not taking us back to a place without culture. He's moving us forward to a place filled with culture. It's the new garden. It's the new humanity. It's the new place of his presence. It's the new heaven and the new earth. But if you read the last chapter of Revelation, it does not describe it as a garden. It describes it as a city. So God's not asking us to go back to something that was devoid of culture and removed from culture. He's asking us to infiltrate culture and build culture, to move towards something. What made the Garden of Eden the Garden of Eden? The presence of God and the presence of God's people. What God has called us to in this city is the presence of God and the presence of God's people. Then we will start to restore this world back to the original design. But it doesn't look like a garden. It looks like a city. Cities are filled with culture. And some gardens too. So if you're a gardener out there, God bless you. Keep gardening. Here's why this is important. We're not trying to get the entire city into the church. We're trying to, as a church, get the entire church into the city. 
See, the old motto is this. Let's mobilize people to bring people to church in order to share the gospel and show them God. The new model, and I believe God's model, is this. Mobilize people to share the gospel and display God in order to get them into church, into the family of God. The church is not just this tool that God has given us to display the gospel. We are the church, and we're mobilized to go give the gospel the good news of God. We're not here to get the entire church, I mean, entire city into the church. Let's get rid of that mentality. If you want to invite someone to church, go for it, do it, because the presence of God amongst his people is here in such a peculiar way that we can't find it anywhere else. There's a specific purpose for the church. Bring people in, but that's not the end of the story. You are the church, and you've been called to go to the city and bring them the good news. Bring them the gospel of Jesus. Bring them purpose for their lives in Christ Jesus. And then that's the invitation to come be family in the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5. We're going to read a little bit here. It says, Paul talking in the Passion Translation. He says, who is Apollos, really? Or who is Paul? Aren't we both servants? through whom you believed our message. Aren't we each of us doing the ministry the Lord has assigned to us? I was the one who planted the church and Apollos came and cared for it, but it was God who caused it to grow. This means that the one who plants is not anybody special, nor the one who waters, for God is the one who brings the supernatural growth. Now, the one who plants and the one who waters, listen, are equally important and on the same team. But we each will, we will be rewarded for his own work. We are co-workers with God and you are God's cultivated garden, the house he is building. And so Paul's language here is pointing us back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. He's talking about the work that you have been called to, the work that I have been called to, and not one individual's work is more or better than another's. When we think about church, we often elevate people on platforms, elevate people with beautiful gifts and say that this person's more important to the work of God in this world. And Paul says, no, one waters, one plants, one encourages, one lifts up, one gives an idea, one makes that idea happen that everyone's work is important in the establishment of what God wants to do in this city. That means you. Don't despise, don't look down upon what God has placed in your life for the establishment of culture around you. That we all have important work to do. And thus we can conclude then, if the work is not being done through you, the work that God wants to do is incomplete. If you're not participating in the cultural mandate that God has placed in your life and in this city, we're going to be missing part of the heart and intent that God has designed to bless us with through you. My work is not more important than your work. Just because I'm on a stage with a mic, it does not mean that I have been more blessed or more graced than you. We have been differently blessed and differently graced. And it's time we start removing the, the, the mantle of higher or better and placing the mantle of equal. 
that your work is important to the establishment of God's presence in this city through his people. The gospel tells us that we are not saved by works, but it also tells us that we are saved for works. That God has saved your life and given you purpose. There's a good work that God has prepared for you in advance. And if you aren't given a stage to do that work in church, don't be discouraged, but be encouraged that God has got that work for you planned somewhere else, somewhere perfectly fitted and designed for you. I am looking out. Here I go preaching. I am looking out on so many people, so many friends that have actually and absolutely crushed it in their life that you have taken the gift of God and stewarded it to such a degree that I'm over here saying, I want to be part of what you're doing. The tables have turned. I'm so excited about some of the people around me that are bringing culture and bringing heaven to the marketplace, to family, to business, to entrepreneurship, to creativity, to politics. And I'm saying, you are doing the work of God. Can I be part of it? Can I help you do what you've been called to do? I think of Carrie and Gideon, Leo Ganda, throughout their whole life have established something that looks like the kingdom of heaven. Me and my wife went into Carrie's office last week and it's saturated with kingdom. It's saturated with God's purpose. If you don't know, she's a financial advisor. She's not standing here on stage, sometimes she does, but she's not standing here on stage preaching the kingdom. She's out there in the marketplace living the kingdom. And I know after walking into her office that I collided with the goodness and the grace of God through her life, through the thing that she was called to do. I think of Hans and Tiffany who run a music school. I was sitting with someone yesterday. She's in our church now, which is so beautiful. But years ago, she was talking about how Tiffany saw her broken and not really in her eyes deserving of anything or any promotion or any influence. And Tiffany said, I see something in you. Want you come work for us? Want you come be part of our team? Said beautiful things like, Tiffany, if you're in here, this is truly what she said yesterday. She remembers when Tiffany said, you're gonna win a Grammy one day. Speaking life into someone who was looking down upon themselves. And she said of Hans, and Hans was just this, this pillar of wisdom. She was like, how could a person like Tiffany, is this real? Could someone who's running a music school and asking me to come teach be this kind and this joyful, this filled with the presence of God in the marketplace? I thought this was a fake thing that people put on their face in church. No, she's living it out and they're living it out in the call of God on their life, in the city, in culture, doing what they were born to do, but displaying God as they go. And that young lady is now in our church. Della, are you here today? No, tonight. This is the beauty of the purpose of God in your life. She's now returned to a place and said, Hans and Tiffany, where are you? I need to be where you are. And now she's part of our family, part of the house of God in this city. There's a purpose to your life. There's a purpose for your life. There's a reason that God designed your life. 
There's a reason that you're walking this earth and it's filled with the purpose of heaven. And there's a deeper meaning to that purpose than you could ever realize. See, that's the thing. We might have purpose in our day, but until we attach meaning to that purpose, we will, we will find our purpose insignificant and unworthy of attention, unworthy of cultivating. But if we could find meaning attached to our purpose, we will protect our purpose with everything that we are. We'll not let anything get in the way, the thing, in the way of what God has called us to. Some of us are walking out purpose right now, but it's not connected to any meaning or significance. And I'm here to tell you today that the purpose of God on your life is full of meaning and full of significance. All we have to do is enter the adventure to find out what it looks like. Is there anybody out there? I'm preaching. I called it an adventure because it is an adventure. And some of us are so bogged down because you wake up every day devoid of purpose and devoid of meaning. Today is that invitation to the adventure. We'll start asking the right questions. Start praying, saying, God, what do you have for me? What's in my hands right now? What's in my next step? And start saying yes to the things that God places on your heart, even if you think they're insignificant. And they will walk you and usher you into a place of significance and meaning because you're following the one who gave you the purpose in the first place. Because when we move with purpose, on purpose, it changes how we move. Because if you're not living out the thing that is in your DNA, you're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. I'm here to tell you today, in your DNA, you were born, born to change this world, the world around you, to bring heaven to earth. And until we walk in that, we will have an awkward existence on this earth. And so there's one place that we need to go. Lord, why am I here? Why am I here? Don't be discouraged by that question. Let that question open up an invitation, as I said, to the adventure of discovery, the beauty of why you exist. I want you to think of someone in your life right now where you're like, that person is living their destiny, living their purpose. There's joy on their face every single day. They were born to do that. Who is that person in your life? Hopefully I'm one of those people. God has that for you too. He doesn't just have it for you. He died to give it to you. He died so that it can be revealed to you in Christ and through his Holy Spirit. Matthew 5, 13 says this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Question is, how do we do this? I'm going to move a little quickly here. How do we do this? We have this primary call, and 
And I was going to say Pastor Carrie. Might as well start calling her Pastor Carrie. But Carrie just read this to us. Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples. The call is the same to all of us. Go into all the world and point people to Jesus. The call is the same, but the method is different. Your life will point people to Jesus differently than my life. My life right now with this microphone is using my words to point people to Jesus, but your life might look like something different. Your your life might look like running an excellent company where you may never mention the name of Jesus, but everybody can see Jesus all around you. Your, Your life might look like raising a family, disciples to be followers of Christ. Day in and day out, commitment to their purpose, raising them up. The call is the same, but the method changes. So we all have a thumbprint. We all have fingerprints. It's the same for all of us. But every one of our thumbprints are different. And that is that 0.1%. That we're 99.9% the same, but we all have a 0.1%. And I'm convinced today that that 1.1% is the uniqueness of how God wants to glorify himself in the world through you. And that only you can glorify him in that one way because you're the only one with that 0.1%. We all have a fingerprint, but your fingerprint is unique to you. And if you don't express it in the way that God has designed it, we will be missing that expression of God in this world. This is how you glorify God with your life. By being who you were born to be and by doing what God has called you to do. There's glory that God has stored up in your life that only you can express. And when you do, it points straight to him in a way that no one else can. John Mark Comer puts this brilliantly in a book called Garden City. Get this book and read it, it's amazing. He says this, our mandate, our purpose through Genesis chapter one is to make the invisible God visible in your world. How do you make the invisible God visible in your world? Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We are image bearers of God. The Hebrew there literally means little statues of God. And so when people see you doing what you were born to do, they actually see the image of God, the invisible God made visible in this world through you. Did you know that God has imprinted that on your DNA to make himself known in this world through you? All of your fault, all of your failing, all of your insecurity, all of your fear, Jesus covers all of that by his blood. He moves us forward into redemption. He says, I still want to use you. I still have purpose for you. You thought that you messed it up and marred the image of God. Jesus has actually come to restore the image of God in your life. If you think that you don't reflect him in a way that I'm describing right now, I'm here to tell you in Jesus Christ, he's restoring and redeeming all of it. It is not just taking it back to what it once was. He's taking it to a place that's actually better. Because your perfect life without Jesus pales in comparison to your messed up life with Jesus. If you hand it to him, I'm telling you, you will live the greatest days of your life in fulfillment with the purpose of God. 
Remember, the foundation for our individuality is built upon what we all have in common. We all have in common the task of making the invisible God visible in this world. But how you do that is singularly up to you. I can't tell you how to do that. All I can do is walk with you and explore what that looks through your gifts, your talents, your dreams, your desires. What annoys you in this world is probably going to lead you to express God in a beautiful way if we let him through it. Because when you say yes to the work of God that he has called you to, called all of us to, I should say, it will open up your eyes to the work he's called you to. Let me say that again. When you say yes to the work God has called all of us to, it will open up your eyes to the work he's called you to. And so if you don't know your individual purpose, start loving everyone. Start serving everyone. Start finding someone else's purpose and getting behind that. And I'm telling you, when you do something that benefits us corporately, God will reveal to you how you fit in that corporate. To start moving forward in him. There's an assignment. There's a grace. There's a gift. There's a calling on your life. And I am so jealous as your pastor and your leader to help you find it, for it to be revealed, to walk in it together so that we can all benefit from the fruit of why you were born. I'm talking about me, but what about this city? So this world is groaning and crying out for the revealing of the sons and the daughters of God, those who would make the invisible God visible in this world, whether they know it or not. They're crying out for you to be the person you were born to be. So church, it's time we rise up to allow the Holy Spirit to empower us to be everything that he's called us to be. Am I preaching to anybody? phones uh, saying yes back. Come on. Amen. There's an assignment. There's a grace. There's a gift. There's a calling on your life. And this is the work God has given you to do. Matthew 6, 9 to 10. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A friend of mine years ago would tell this story about he would travel first class and he would sit in these executive seats. And obviously, when you walk through, I don't know if you've been on a plane before, but you're walking through first class seats and you're like, I wonder what that person does. I wonder why that person's sitting here. They don't look like they can afford this seat. Why are they in this seat? Is that just my judgmental mind? Or, <laughs> or my gosh, that person looks the part. But underneath it all is, how did you get here? Why are you here? And one day, someone asked my friend this question who was sitting in first class. So why are you here? And he just said this back to him. He said, I'm an executive. Oh, what are you an executive of? I'm an executive of God's will. <laughs> Jesus says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what we're supposed to pray for. But the, the, the people and the way that he wants his will done on this earth is you and me. So when we actually pray for that, we're positioning ourselves to be the executives of God's will on this earth. Executive literally means this, having the power to put plans, actions, or laws into effect. 
Or the noun is this, a person with senior managerial responsibility in a business or an organization. I think we have the definition on the, on the screen, no? God has given you the power to put his plans into action in this world, to be an executive, an administrator of his will and his purpose. And so when we pray, God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, you're the first person he comes and taps on your shoulder and says, okay, I want you to do this. I want you to start this business. I want you to start this family. I want you to go to this meeting and speak my love and my purpose, my innovation, my creativity executives of God's will. And God has made you, if you said yes to him, an executive of his will in this world. Wherever you are and wherever you go, God has a mission and a purpose for you while you're there. The question is, are we waking up every morning and saying, God, what is your will? What is your purpose in the places that I go today? Just because you think you don't have a purpose doesn't mean that God hasn't put a purpose in you. And if we would just open our eyes to the purpose that's in the moment, right here and right now, I'm telling you, saying yes to those little purposes will reveal the big purpose. Serving somebody else will walk you forward into the purpose and meaning that God has placed in your life. And the reason why today, the first part of our DNA series is on the city is because I'm convinced through the church, Big C, and through our church, that God wants the culture of this city to look more like heaven. Through us, right here and right now, but it's not going to happen in this room. It's going to happen as we leave this room. This is a beautiful incubator of the love and the presence and the warmth and the comfort and the purpose of God. But when chickens lay eggs, they leave the incubator. They have to go. They have to go and do. They have to go and be. The reason I'm saying this is because in kindergarten, one of the greatest life lessons of my life, our teacher, Mrs. Bork, we had chicken eggs. And they would stay in this box for months at a time. And it was the right temperature and the right place. And there was comfort and there was community. There was beautiful things. But as soon as they're hatched, you would look at these chicks and say, you need to leave this box. If you stay in there, you won't grow. You won't be effective. You're not going to be able to influence anybody. This is a five-year-old talking about chickens. You're not going to be able to influence anybody. But think about yourself in an incubator. If we're locked up in this cage and don't think that the presence of God wants to lead us out, then we're going to think that this is the end-all and be-all of what we've been called to as children of God. That God wants you to go like chickens and influence this world. That was a really bad analogy. I apologize. <laughs> Thank you. You're so encouraging. But I know that you're encouraging by nature, so I'm not that encouraged. <laughs> you're just going to say it's awesome anyways. You get what I'm saying? An incubator. This is an incubator for what God wants to do, but you don't stay in the incubator. You grow. You learn. You take shape. And then you go and affect the world out there. And so today is Commission Sunday. 
Do you guys know what the word commission means? Let me explain it to you. The act of granting certain powers or authority to carry out a particular task or a duty. We're granting you as the body of Christ with the presence of God, the order and the duty to carry out the reason that you were born. Today is that day. In the Old Testament, in Hebrew times, they would get oil and they would put it in a flask or put it in a horn, and they would pour it out on someone to signify the choosing of God and the empowerment of God. But the only people they would do it for were the priests and the kings, the people in politics and the ones leading church. But the New Testament in Jesus, it describes us as the royal priesthood. We are priests and we are kings, and we are queens, which means the anointing of God is for you. The power of God for your life is for you. God chooses you, he's purposed you for the area that he's called you to be in, and today he wants to empower you by his grace and by his spirit to bring heaven to earth in that place. Commissioning Sunday, we as the body of Christ say yes, to the purpose of God in your life and say that it doesn't end in the church, in the, the walls of the church, but it goes with you outside the church because, newsflash, you are the church. And God has purposed the church, empowered by his spirit, to turn this world upside down so that it no longer looks broken, but it looks like heaven. So that we would move into broken places and broken systems and bring life and bring hope to make the invisible God visible wherever you go. Commissioning Sunday. Matthew 28, Jesus commissions his disciples and he says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded to you to do. But then he says this, wait. Wait in Jerusalem. Wait. Because something's going to happen. And the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you to fill you with power to be my witness. And when the Holy Spirit came down in Acts chapter 2, people were filled with power. Their lives changed. They were empowered to move forward in the commission of God. And something peculiar happened in that moment. Tongues of fire would come on their head. Read it in Acts chapter 2. And it says that they would speak in other tongues and other languages. But it wasn't just Babel. It tells us in the scriptures that people from other nations from other cultures, from other places, actually heard in their own language the gospel being preached to them through the people that were empowered by the presence of God. And I'm here to tell you today that there's a language, a communication that has been placed in you, your unique talents, your unique gifting, your unique graces, that God wants to speak to the world, to show his goodness to them through you. But only you have the language to speak so that the world around you could hear what God wants to say through you. But it happens by the empowerment of the Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Church Untitled podcast. Be sure to subscribe to stay up to date on our latest messages. For more about what's happening in our community, follow us on social media 
or visit us at churchuntitled.com.